If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we have, uh, we're in this section uh, in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew where the disciples have asked Jesus a question. And uh, it's, it's a rather important question. They, they look at him and they say, Okay, in regards to the kingdom that you are bringing, who is the greatest in, in the kingdom? In the kingdom of heaven, who is the greatest? And, and they've already acknowledged that they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so it's my belief they're not saying, hey, um, who, who can be more important than you? I think they acknowledge, okay, you are the chosen one. Really what they're trying to get at is who is the top dog of the rest of us? Okay, I don't believe they're trying to say, hey, Jesus, we're more important than you. Can we be more important than you? Uh, but rather, how can we make sure that we are better than all these other schmucks? And, uh, and, and what Jesus does next is, is both powerful and insightful, uh, especially for the believer. Because what he does, uh, brilliantly, by the way, is he, he brings a child in front of them, and he says, unless you come to the Father like this child, uh, like a kid depends on his parent, you can't even be part of the kingdom. And, and then he says, if you are found in the kingdom, then you have this responsibility to pursue holiness uh, and to avoid sinfulness. And I know that sounds like a, a pretty simple task that he gives you, right? Uh, pursue holiness, avoid sinfulness. Uh, in fact, uh, by becoming a child of the king, what we find out is that we are connected to the protection of our king uh, and, and that God takes the holiness of his children very seriously. And, and so which brings us to some important teachings uh, of Jesus, from Jesus in the role that we get to share as a body of believers in the caring and the protecting of one another in, in light of the gospel. Uh, and, and in fact, there are four things that he is going to instruct us to do in chapter 18. Two of those we covered last week, two we're going to cover uh, today. But, but last week, here's what he said, that, that ways that we care for one another is that, number one, we protect one another. Uh, we rally around one another. We support one another. When we do this primarily by protecting each other's pursuit of holiness, uh, that that we don't try to lead each other into sin. Uh, we don't try to put stumbling blocks in front of uh, one another, but rather we are concerned about each other's walk with God uh, because uh, we are committed to growing with God together. That's what I believe makes, uh, you know, whatever community you call it, if you call it a small group community, if you call it your band of, of brothers, your friends, uh, that, that you would take the opportunity and understand that with them in Christ is much more than just hanging out and having a good time, that it's about spurring one another on. It's about challenging one another. It's about walking in holiness with one another because your desire is that both of you would get to explore the incredible love that God has for us uh, and that we would get to do that together. And I think it makes that journey so much more sweeter. Uh, and then secondly... You know, Jesus taught through a parable uh, that, that we love one another. Uh, we just, we have a genuine love for one another. That, that when we find a brother or a sister in Christ, uh, when we find that they've wandered away, we would simply remember how God has found us in the midst of our wandering. Uh, and then because of that, 
we would go in search of them and we would try to bring them back into the fold, leaving the 99, going after the one uh, so that there is much rejoicing and uh, that we have, uh, we should take much urgency and we should have much care for fellow believers and love them enough to help them come back to green pastures and, and quiet waters. And, and today what we're going to see are, are two more ways that we're called to provide accountability and protection for one another. And I'll just tell you, uh, if you thought last week might have been difficult, uh, today will be really painful. Uh, because what we are dealing with today are, are offenses that happen to us. Uh, these other two that we talked about last week, these are things that are external. They're, they're just happening and they don't necessarily directly affect us. But today, Jesus is going to come in and say, when you have a problem with a fellow believer, here's how we deal with that. Okay? So he tells you, hey, you need to pay attention because you need to understand the importance of the process. And what my bet is, is that as we read these words, you're going to experience some things and you're going to, the Holy Spirit will bring the mind, hey, you didn't do it that way. Okay? And so, so we, we need to understand uh, that process of, of Jesus teaching us how to have a healthy conflict with fellow believers. And then what he's going to do in, in another parable is he's going to connect us and he's going to say, just always remember this. And if you will always keep this in mind, then how you treat one another will work itself out. Okay? And so, so that's kind of our task uh, this morning. So let's, let's pray and then let's, uh, let's dive in. Father... We thank you this morning for your word. And I pray we don't take it for granted. I pray we don't try to take advantage of it. But that through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you would reveal to us how it is you want us to walk in unity, how it is you want us to walk in love, how it is you want us to be able to confront one another. And Father, we, we, we admit that, that some of these things will be difficult for us this morning. And we pray for your strength and for your courage and for your insight and how best to walk in your direction. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, here's, here's a blanket statement that will not shock any of you. Okay? If you have a lasting relationship, eventually you will run into conflict with that person. Right? Uh, in fact, some of the most dear relationships you, you have with people have been on the other side of this moment in that relationship where it would have been easier, not better, but it would probably have been easier just to write them off completely, right? And to completely just walk away. You say, I don't have to deal with that pain. And let's forget the fact that that, that pain still lingers and it will follow you. But in every lasting relationship, you will come to a point of conflict with that person, no matter how great you are. And if you say, well, I have some really lasting relationships. We've never been that, we've never experienced that kind of conflict. Either A, that relationship isn't deep enough, uh, or B, just buckle up and wait, because uh, it will show up eventually. And, and that's why uh, what Jesus says next can really cut us to the core, because we have to deal with when, when life begins to hurt on our own. And, and the key this morning is this belief of that, that Jesus is wiser than us. Okay? But now, if you, if you want to continue to think that you might be a little bit smarter than Jesus, 
uh, then uh, you can try to exclude yourself from these words. But, but for this morning, we just want to make this statement that Jesus is wiser than us and that by trusting his instruction that it's actually better for us and will help us navigate these waters in a healthier way. And so, so this is what Jesus takes us into our need uh, as, as, in ways that we um, care for one another. Number one, in your, or I guess number three in your talk notes, uh, we restore one another. We restore one another. And so let's, again, let's assume for the moment that we all agree that Jesus isn't playing a trick on us, right? That when he tells us to do these things, he's not like, hey guys, check out what I convinced that idiot to do. Okay, that's not what he does. So here we go. In, in verse 15, okay? Chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you. Okay, now we're getting personal. If your brother sins against you, okay? And just on the, right before the next word, just write the number one in that top corner. Go and tell him his fault. Go and tell him his fault. And then underline these words. Between you and him. And then this next word. Let's circle it. Alone. Alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay? So, so if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And now, now if you're keeping track at home, here's the first step. Uh, that we would seek private correction when someone has an offense against us. When you are offended. When someone has sinned against you. Now, there's, there's some debate as to um, whether or not the words against you... Uh, refers to just you personally or uh, just uh, someone who is sinning in general. Uh, and I think the difference between the two is, is really minor uh, because we find places in the Bible, for instance, Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 1, uh, where Paul instructs us, he says, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person, okay? So, so if this person has sinned against you, and that means you personally or you, meaning as the body, uh, as we are one family, uh, that, that we have a role to play. So, so regardless, this first step is, is almost painfully, plainly explained, right? He says that we are compelled not to allow that offense to fester, Right? Rather, we bring it out into the light. We acknowledge that it exists, and then we bring that out into the light. And this is perhaps our, our first misstep, because what we want to do is, is something different. Uh, in fact, my bet is that you're very similar to my sinful ways, uh, and that, that what you really do when you've been offended is you like to go to someone else, and then you either like to express your wound to them or you like to use that to rally their support. Uh, and then sometimes that leads to conflict with that person because they don't see the, the world the way you do. And you don't understand why they can't just be all up in arms about this, right? So, but that, okay, and here's the thing, there's going to be an allowance for that step, just not first, okay? Because what he says to do first is that you put on your big boy britches and you come confront that person in love. In love. In fact, you love them enough to talk to, uh, not to talk to everyone in the world about your offense, but that you love them enough 
to not sit back and watch them wander deeper and deeper and deeper into offense or to sin. Because if a person responds correctly or rightly, Jesus says, you've won over your brother. You've won them over. And now that's, and here's the thing. And now some of us, this is a paradigm shift right here. Or a paradigm shift. That's what I used to thought. That's why as an adult thought that was the word. Um, If you say that once in public, then people are like, this guy's an idiot. Uh, but 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 this is this is the key to conflict resolution. That the goal is that you would win the person rather than winning the argument. Let's just let that wash over us. That we would win the person, not necessarily win the argument, because it is entirely possible. Especially if you've been married, you you probably know this, right? You can win the argument but lose at the same time. And so Jesus says, the, the idea when somebody offends you isn't that you would win to the point where they say, yeah, I've offended you, you win. That's not the goal. The goal is to win your brother. It's to draw them out of whatever that sinful behavior was. And so, so the goal here is to win the person, not the argument. And it's amazing how many times I've seen this just done backwards. And, and now, and we're going to see this in context in a moment, but remember our goal is that we would restore one another so that we can glorify God together. This is, this is so very important, that, that it removes this need to get even. Even if, or if, the offense was, even if the offense was personal, that if we decide we're not trying to get even, our hearts can now be connected through the gospel. Our actions can be connected uh, through love. And so, now sometimes this, this correction leads to repentance. And that's what Jesus refers to here. That, that if, if, if you've won your brother, they, they've repented. They've, they've turned from their way. They're not going to offend you again. And this is great news. But then what Jesus is going to say next is, there are some times when they don't respond that way. There are some times that they continue to walk in that sinfulness. Or there are some times when that offense isn't, um, reconciled. And so he gives us a next step in the process, okay? And so he says, but if he does not listen, if he does not listen, and this is where, if you'd like to write in your Bible, just write the number two, right above the word take here, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So step two is that you would bring a small group into the conversation. Now, does that mean any two people? Not necessarily. Okay? But that you would find the right. Because this isn't an intervention. This isn't a small mob. Rather, this is people who long to walk in harmony uh, with fellow believers and have the same goal of restoration. So, so you say, okay, why does he say two or three, right? Because it seems like he's leading us somewhere. And he is because he's connecting us to this Old Testament practice that we find in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19 where... He says, in order for a charge to be established, there must be two or three witnesses. Uh, and so the goal of this is to bring two or three people in to speak about this laced in love. That you would cover this conversation and just to make sure that your insight or your perspective isn't faulty. Okay, So you don't rally the troops. You don't spend hours and hours and hours and hours trying to convince them how you're right and how this person is completely wrong. You bring these people into the room and you say, okay, hey, here's a conflict between us. I have tried 
to work through this. I don't feel like this is reconciled. And so I thought we would bring two more or three more brothers or sisters into this uh, conversation. And these, these people are here to help diffuse the emotions that can cloud just proper insight in the midst of conflict. Because Can we agree that in the midst of conflict, our emotions tend to play much more of a role than we want to say that they are? You know, you ever said, I'm not mad, but you've yelled it at the top of your lungs? That's typically an indication that A, you are mad, right? And B, your emotions are leading you down a road that is very misleading. And so Jesus says, if that person repents, then you can walk in unity. And that's the goal, right? We want to walk in unity with one another. But if not... Uh, then Jesus tells us there's a third step. Okay, this one, this one to us gets a little crazy, uh, and, I'm gonna, and I'll tell you why in a second. If he refuses to listen to them, then number three, right above the word "tell," tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And some of you are like, "Oh, that's gonna get awkward for a Sunday morning, right?" Right? All of a sudden, we're like, hey, um, I know we're about to pray and leave, but uh, I kind of got this issue with Mark right now, and um, I'm clearly right. He's clearly sinful. Let's talk about it. Um, but but now, now we, I say that. And actually, I don't say that. Jesus says this. And, and you think, I, I don't know these people well enough uh, for this to be right. Uh, I don't. Who, who are they to have that kind of role and, and now the issue here with Jesus' words isn't him, it's us. Walking in the kind of intimate community that Jesus expects Christ to walk in. He says that you should be involved in church. Now, now, does he mean that you would bring it up on a Sunday morning in front of a thousand, thousands of people in, in some churches? Or does he mean that you would bring it up in, in churches as small as like four or five people? I believe what he's saying is that you bring it before the leaders of the church, and then if it needs to, it gets spread out. Okay? That we would be able to talk about those things. Now, I think typically in a small church, uh, very similar to ours, uh, that when that kind of conflict is brought in, the two or three is typically a pastor uh, or someone who looks like a pastor or has a title of a pastor. Uh, those kind of things. But, but regardless, what we are called to do is bring it before the church, and, and you maybe feel, feel tempted to think, why would I tell a group of people about this brother and, and his sin? Because in reality, uh, what, what's happening is the church, and I don't, I don't know what kind of involvement you've had with church conflict. Um, we were, I, I feel like we were born, not this church, but when I was a teenager, uh, in, in a four-year span, we saw three church splits, uh, and I felt like we were born through the fire of church splits, um, but but the object again, in, in a lot of those was about being right, not being restored. And so what, what we have dealt with is is walking in and trying to understand that when it comes to those kind of sinful conflicts, that we want to be a people when someone is caught in sin, that we would be a community of people who come in and say. We love you, and we want you to come back to Christ. This isn't about punishment. This isn't about chastisement. Uh, this is about you and I walking in unity with one another. 
We love you. We want you to come back to Christ. We want you to know that God loves you so much that if you are caught in sin, He will send an entire army of believers to you to demonstrate His love and His mercy. Now, if you've ever been on the the bad end of that kind of reception, it doesn't feel like love and mercy because it's, it's like the cat of nine tails. And so he says, if, at that point, if the brother repents, you've won him over. You can walk in unity. But then sadly, he gives us a fourth step. And I think he gives us this, and, and we'll talk about why that is in the church, but I think secondly, I think he gives us this to explain to you and me that if we continue to walk in, fellow, in, in sinfulness, it will exclude us from fellowship. Because he says this. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, okay, number four, right above the word let, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And I think this is kind of funny because the guy who's writing this gospel is Matthew. Uh, And if you'd like to go back to chapter 9, you get his um, encounter when Jesus calls him uh, because he actually had a job as a tax collector. Uh, and so I think there was a moment that, that Matthew was like, wait, what? And then he's like, okay. So you treat him as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Now this is before, this is before, okay, as Jesus is saying, I think this is important, because when you hear the Gentile, you're not, well, I'm a Gentile, right? The Bible says I'm a Gentile. The Bible says the gospel is open to the Gentile and the Jew. But at this moment, there wasn't. At this moment, the Gentiles were sinful pagan people separated as children of God, okay? So, so, Je- so when Jesus is telling them to treat them as the Gentile or the tax collector, he says, you treat them with the hostility that you do those other people, okay? Now, good news for us, here in a couple of chapters, that changes for our benefit, okay? So that we're not treated, but he's using their, their culture to help them understand that you don't want to have any doing with them. And now, uh, and, and again, this may be, seem harsh, but it's biblical. That's the, that's the conversation I've had with the Holy Spirit this week. That seems really harsh. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, but it's what Jesus says. And you've already decided a second ago, that at least for a Sunday morning, that Jesus is wiser than you. And, and I think it's harsh, and I think it's biblical, because the holiness of the bride of Christ is a priority to Jesus. The holiness of the church is a priority to Jesus. He says if there is one who refuses the gentle restoration of the body, then they need to be removed from the fold. They do. And the reason is that, that is, and he'll explain this in, in other parts of the Gospels, that, that sin spreads like, like leaven or like yeast in a bread. That, that just a small amount of it eventually will expand and take control over the whole thing. And, and he says that that, that that can't be the case in the church because we're all pursuing holiness. Now, are we a band of misfits? Absolutely. Are we on this different level of immaturity to maturity? Absolutely. Is God growing us in similar but different ways? Absolutely. But the pursuit of holiness is vital to the health of the church. So he says this in verse 18, Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says this, he said this a couple, uh, actually, I guess for us a couple months ago, but I think a chapter or two back too. 
Again, I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where, and this is, this is fun, okay? Because I want you to see context, not just this next verse. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Anybody ever heard that? Right? Anybody ever try to get out of a small group meeting because there was less than three? You're like, oh, we don't have quorum because Jesus won't show up to this place. Um, right? No, just, just me. Okay. Um, so here, here's what's at play. That Jesus, that we have authority, we have the authority of Jesus to play an important role in each other's repentance and restoration when it comes to the community of believers. That, that our intent should never be domination or belittlement. Rather, a loving expression of the forgiveness that we have found in Christ. That, that's, that should be our, our pursuit. And, and my bet, again, is that we have heard verse 20 before, but we've never thought of it in its actual context. Okay? Because here's, here's what we know. Jesus has said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I will be found among them. Right? But, okay, let's just think through this logically. What about in those moments when you're in your prayer closet and it's just you? You ever prayed and then felt the Holy Spirit say, oh, there's not two or three, so that prayer's not heard. Access denied. Right? No. So what, what we're getting to see here in the context is Jesus granting us authority. And he says if, if two or three are of the same belief that this brother is sinful, then you have the authority to restore or excommunicate. That authority has been granted to us, to, to the church, as, as believers. And, and he's guaranteed his involvement in this conflict resolution that when two or three are gathered, that, that the brother or the sister caught in sin, that they can be restored. And so, so you say, okay, gotcha. Jesus has given us, very few times in the Bible, do we find four steps to something. And Jesus has just laid that out for us very plainly. And you have to get over the fact that you have to get over yourself in order to, to do some of this. That first you would go simply to them. So if, if Mark, if, if I have sinned against Mark, that Mark's obligation is to come to me first, come to me privately. If I don't repent, Mark would grab two or three others, then we would deal with that. If I don't repent, Mark would gather the church. And if I don't repent, he is biblically obligated, or at least, well, he's biblically obligated to send me. Not biblically allowed, biblically obligated to say, you can't walk in sin and community with me. Okay? And again, this is, this is why we call this. this. This is why when the hard choices are the, right, are the best choices. Okay, so that, that's, that's what is at play here. And then Peter's going to say something, and I love it. Love it anytime Peter opens his mouth. Because this is, this is what happens. Verse 21. And this will carry us into a parable. Then Peter came up to him and said, uh, I'm sorry. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. 
right? And, and I love this because the original instruction was when a brother sins against you, and, and Peter is wondering, okay, what's the cap? What's, what's the limit? Because some of these people are bothering me a lot. Okay, and now there's a practice back in in, the, in their day when a rabbi would would instruct that you would forgive someone three times, and then after three times, then you can just get rid of them. You could do that, okay, three times because that that's part of God's holy number, and you know everything in the Bible kind of all the really good things walk work around threes. And, and so, so the rabbis would say, well, three, you know, just forgive them three times, then you're kind of off the hook. And, and Peter says, oh, well, I, I know this guy's different. I know three's not going to work. And so he says, well, what about seven times? Which I, I don't know. And, and I typically don't like to kind of add to what I guess is happening in Peter's life. I think there's a guy that that morning was seven. And he's like, that's it. I'm done with this dude. So how about Jesus, permission, seven times. That's enough, right? And he looks at it and he says, no, 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 77 times. And, and I imagine Peter's like, well, now I've got to carry a pad with me. We're like, oh, that's one. You're getting up there. And, and, okay, and what Jesus does next is, it's, again, it's just it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Because he's going to teach a parable that is very self-explanatory. We're not going to spend a lot of time kind of breaking it apart and looking at it from different angles and try to go to the original Greek or the Hebrew. You know, we, we won't need to do any of that because it's pretty self-explanatory. But it's also very impactful as a reminder in how we foster forgiveness in our hearts. Okay? Because he's going to connect you to one moment in your life. He's going to connect you to a glorious day. And he's going to say, never leave that moment. Never. Just stay in this moment and remember this one thing that has happened to you all the days of your life. And because of it, it will affect how... And let's just get in here, okay? So so he says this in verse 23. Therefore, okay, so, so the question is, how many times? Seven times? Nope, 77 times, Peter. So he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared... To a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Okay? Now, the king in this story is going to be God. Just to give you a heads up. And the settling accounts with his servants is, one day, all of our sin will exact a payment. Now I'm not going to commentate. I'm just going to read. So, so, so when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is the roughly equivalent of a couple million dollars. Okay? In our day. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is just basically a week's or, or a month's worth of pay. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. That's what this guy sounds like now. Um, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will 
pay you. If you like to underline, underline those words and then just draw an arrow back to the time that this dude said it. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will, I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. When his fellow servants saw. So circle that and just write church right next to that. They were greatly distressed and they... They went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, the king summoned him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. And then he says something that is really, really difficult. From your heart. From your heart. I said I forgave him. Have you in your life, maybe, ever say you've forgiven someone, but you still hold whatever that offense was against them? We have a uh, forgiven but not forgotten, right? Jesus says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. He says, you, you set them free. You release them of that debt. And this is what forgiveness is. It's saying, I am not holding a debt over your head any longer. I'm not. You owe me absolutely nothing. I've canceled it. Because... Uh, Forget the fact that a lot of the times when it comes to withholding forgiveness with somebody, uh, we're charging them a debt they could never pay back anyways. You, how, how do you pay back time? How do you repair emotions? How do, you, how do you mend wounds? So to hold them against those kind of offenses, there's nothing they can do. Saying I'm sorry is not enough, right? Never will be. To, to say, okay, well, now you can make restitution, you know. Well, how do you pay for a broken heart? It doesn't work that way. Now, there are some things, if you break a toy of mine, you can buy me another toy. I get that. And we can almost be even. You're never playing with my toy again, though, because we, we remember what happened last time, right? But I thought you forgave me. I did, but I haven't forgotten. And Jesus says this this. It's very possible that's the game you want to play. And I'm just letting you know you're wrong in playing it. Because you forgive your brother from your heart. Number four in your talk notes, we forgive one another. We, we, we forgive one another. We constantly remember that in Christ we have, we have received extravagant grace and now as Christians we are to extend extravagant grace. He said, well, what, what if that makes me a doormat? It doesn't. It doesn't, because sometimes extending that kind of grace is the most loving thing in the world you can do. And it's the one thing that glorifies God the most in that moment. That, and now, here, here's this, this is what you need to know. That the Bible is not saying that it's easy to forgive. Okay? Or, or that it's natural to forgive. 
fact, uh, in our nature, in our old self, we don't want to forgive at all. At all. Go check out our kids. Tell them to say you're sorry when they're not sorry at all. And they'll look at you like, I'll say it, but we both know this isn't happening. Okay, so it's not natural. It's not natural to walk through that. But, but here's what we know, that, that it's not saying it's easy and it's not saying it's natural. However, it is Christian to forgive. It is Christ-like to forgive. In fact, the Christian has no other option. Now, that might seem narrowing to you, but it's liberating to me. I don't have to decide. I don't have to weigh them and say, do they deserve it? Do they not? Do they deserve it? Do they not? Do they deserve it this time, but not next time? And this is what Peter's saying, right? Okay, I'll give them, I'll forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, then not forgive them. And the beauty, the beauty of what Christ is saying is you don't have the option. So don't spend time weighing it. You just say, I'm called to forgive you. I'm called to release you. Why? Because I've been released. I've been forgiven. I've had a king who has stood before, and I owed him an amount, an immeasurable amount of money. I, am, I owed him an immeasurable amount of debt. And when it came time for me to make payment, I was found wanting. And I pleaded. And in his mercy, and in his grace, he forgave that. And what Jesus says is you say, that thumbtack moment in your life, you never leave it. You stay in it. You live in it. And it affects how you treat every single person for the remainder of your days. Because you don't walk deciding who's forgiven because you have been forgiven. And the connection is this. Our offenses between one another pales in comparison between our offenses before a holy and a just God. So he says you don't compare those two because this is what we do, right? Well, God, you don't understand how much that hurt me. You don't understand how painful that experience has been for me. You don't understand how much that wound still lingers and burns. And he says, I do. I do. And it still pales to the comparison of your sin before me. We forgive not because we have to but because in love we are compelled to do so. So this is where we are in Matthew 18. We'll go to 19 next week. If you thought this was hard, just wait. We should just call this series that. If you thought that was hard, wait till next week. Matthew 18 leads us to respond on on a few personal levels. And and I think here, here are some helpful questions for application. And I just want you to start asking yourself this. Are you, are you causing, leading, or enabling a brother or sister to sin? Are you doing that? 
Are you guarding? Are you protecting? Are you nurturing your own personal holiness? How, how can you more clearly express the love of the Father to the church around you? Is there anyone you need to humbly confront concerning sin for their good and for the Father's glory? And then maybe this one. Are you harboring bitterness or, or unforgiveness towards someone else? Because here's the thing. These are not easy questions to deal with in our lives. They're not easy issues to deal with in the church. In fact, it seems like it would be easier, or, or, or so we think, just to sit back and ignore these questions, right? If I ignore them, eventually they'll go away, which they never do. I can't tell you how many times I've said something really stupid to Misty, thinking if I just don't say anything for a while, maybe it will have just been forgotten. Never is. And sadly, that's the tact of, of so many so many churches, so many believers, that I'm, let's just try not to deal with it. Let's look in this direction, and if eventually it'll just kind of fade away, and it doesn't. It doesn't. As followers of Christ, we, we don't have the option of ignoring these issues. And you say, well, why not? It'd be easier. We don't have the option because of how we've been loved. That, that the Father has protected us and pursued us and restored us and forgiven us. So, so how? How after all of those things, how can we not pursue others and individuals and as a church with this kind of love? How can we just withhold that even for a moment? Obedience in, this, in these matters, they're not an option. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. May, may the love of the Father through Christ compel the love of His children in the church. That we would never for a nanosecond separate ourselves from that notion. That God has loved us relentlessly. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. So we wrap up. We want to make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer this morning, we we desperately want to pray with you. Uh, I'll be up here and Michelle will be up here. We want to pray with you. Maybe if you never asked Jesus into your heart, we want to walk with you through that process. Maybe you just want to take some time this morning and, and remember what Christ has done through communion. We have those elements available. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we are very thankful this morning for your goodness and I pray you would grow in us the people you want us to be that, not, not that you would give us something that's not there that we would walk in it that we would walk in the strength that Christ has made available to us we would walk in the wisdom of what Christ has made available to us that we would be in step with your Holy Spirit and empowered by your Holy Spirit to do some of these hard things. Father, I pray you would create in us a community that honors you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.